Good evening and welcome into another edition of Meet Me at Musial. We're starting our 10th season of Meet Me at Musial, which seems pretty crazy to even think about. I'm your host, Daniel Shopta at C70 on the Twitters. And this is the time of year, if you know, from the last two or three years that Alan Medlock vanishes. Uh, that whole coaching thing takes over his life and we don't see him again pretty much until may i would love to start the season off with a bang but we've got brendan schaefer and that should do just as well there it is uh, yeah there like. it is <laughs> if i was nice to brendan if i was nice to brendan brendan would like first he'd hang up and try to figure out what show he was actually on um and then be very very confused how are you brendan good to have you i'm doing well it's it, our, our rivalry is kind of one of my favorite tropes at this point so i uh <laughs> I would I would expect nothing different to start off the show. Exactly. But before we get into, you know, I think it should be noted. Uh, I will give you the credit, the uh, the props that maybe you're due. Uh, number five this year in the top cards on Twitter uh, ballot, right around where oh, you I normally that to are. Yeah, yeah, I don't I don't know how you have it um, because uh, you know that's that's big deal. Um, you know, you are of course you know, you're that that's that's something right i mean you know it helps that you have a, a presence and a platform but it also means you're doing something right you know if nothing else i am prolific but i, I think with the way that you do that you uh you graduate folks off of the list when they've achieved uh first place for so many years mm -hmm. so i think uh, you know 15 years from now daniel i think i'm going to be i'm going to be taking that top spot yeah, after you, all the good ones are you know already graduated you obviously um, did not read then what I wrote about the, this year, which is to say that if when when you were in line to win, it is when we're shutting the whole thing down. Oh, that's good. OK, very good. I like that. That's appropriate. Uh, yeah. Three wins in a row. We got, uh, you know, that is uh, gifts and Katie now, Derek will probably do that next year. And then it kind of gets the wide open. So who knows? Maybe one year you will be the top one and I will have to eat all the crow. That Man, that be, would be something. I know, I know that would be painful for you. <laughs> uh, Brendan is now uh, saving his money so he could do the the Doug Bergram and pay people to vote for him, um, so that could happen. Um, so we are again. We're we're here in the beginning of January in the dead zone of baseball knowledge. So let's before we get into what the Cardinals have done, let's take a little bit look of last year, which is a painful topic, but we've got to kind of process it when you got into doing journalism and, and when, especially when you started covering the Cardinals, did you ever think that you would have to live through a season like you did last year? I don't think that it would have been front of mind, Daniel, definitely not. But I got to tell you, I spent the last 30 seconds of you talking, just trying really hard not to laugh because I think you called it the dead zone of baseball knowledge. I think you could just go ahead and title that, 
on this episode of the show because I'm bringing you the dead zone of baseball knowledge. It doesn't get any more dead than than my baseball knowledge. No, but um, no, I didn't. I didn't see 71 and 91 coming from the Cardinals. Um, there were some lean years. I started covering the Cardinals in 2016, and obviously that's about the point at which they stopped making the playoffs for a while. For a minute there, I thought I was responsible. Um, and like there was some sloppy baseball in those years, but it's kind of crazy to think about, like, if you can bring yourself back to, uh, as, as many Cardinals fans might be able to do that mentality that you felt in the Matheny years, like the waning Matheny years where things weren't going so great. And it just felt kind of sloppy and, and hopeless in terms of the Cardinals were kind of stuck in that middle. And technically they were kind of contending till the last week or so in those seasons, but just not a lot going on, not a lot to, to write home about. Like, this was exponentially worse than that. And so it's just kind of crazy to think about. Cardinals fans thought that was the worst it could get. And when a manager was at a point at which, you know, that the team was going to miss the playoffs for several years in a row, well, that was just about it. You, you can't have that manager anymore. And now you see a situation where, yeah, they were 20 games below 500. This was far and away the worst Cardinals season that, you know, a lot of Cardinals fans, fans that are kind of around the same age as me, my generation can really fully remember. Like I'm, I'm, I'm not sure how proud I should be to admit it, but I'll turn 30 in 2024, Daniel. Oh, and as a, as a youngster, like my formative memories, I was, I was at the McGuire number 62 Mm. game, but I was like four years old. And those were kind of on the tail end of some, some rougher times for the Cardinals, some lean years. But in this millennium, like the Cardinals have been always in the mix and for them to have that kind of season long answer to your question, but no, I didn't anticipate that that anything like that would be possible. And I certainly didn't anticipate it at the outset of the 2023 season. Like I didn't, I didn't see that one coming even as it was beginning. Uh, yeah. That's actually what I was going to lead into because there is that idea that we see a lot of times online, especially now that it's, this was, everybody knew this was coming, you know, or, or something of that nature. But, uh, you know, we're talking this time last year, I think everybody, okay, we knew there were some issues. There was a, the, the pitching staff was not as strong as you wanted. There were things that the Cardinals could have done, but I think everybody still thought this was at worst a second place team in the, in the NL central, if not more than that. It's just like everything that could go wrong, went wrong at one time. Yeah, and it's easy to look back, I think, on it and see why some of the, the things happened that did. I think a lot was sort of taken for granted in how much change actually took place from one year to the next. And I guess it was easier to see now in retrospect, but as you're as they're going through it and as you're kind of thinking through it as the season's unfolding, it, it just is hard to kind of put all those puzzle pieces together. But like in retrospect, it's easy to go, well, the Cardinals should have known, you know, that replacing Yadier Molina's presence was going to be more difficult than just saying, hey, who's the the biggest free agent name out there at the position? Let's sign that guy and everything else will fall into place. Like, okay, realistically, and John Moselak, I thought was interesting at the winter meetings in Nashville a few weeks ago. He even said, like, we we're probably naive to think that it would be as smooth of a transition as, you know, as we were hoping it would be. And, and obviously quickly they realized it wasn't. And I don't know that that's Wilson Contreras's fault. I don't know that like there's a lot of kind of balls in the air that you're juggling on that whole situation and then throw in the world baseball classic, which, you know, you could, we could talk for a long time about that, but I feel like most Cardinals fans at this point are like, eh, I don't want to hear that as an excuse, but there's like lots of little things like that that lined up 
And then the the changes on the coaching staff, you had a lot of veteran presence in the coaching staff that departed in the same offseason. Albert Pujols obviously going. So there's a lot of change that happened that in retrospect, I think it just took a little bit of time for this past year's team to kind of find its footing. And then by the time that maybe it did, it felt the weight of the chase, of the fact that they were already so far behind the eight ball and never really recovered because of that. So like easier to talk about now in retrospect, I know the more kind of pessimistic Cardinals fans were saying at the time, like, oh, we we knew it was coming because X, Y, or Z. And maybe you did. And congrats to you if you did. But I, that's why I do the polls, Daniel. At the beginning of every season, I do the win total polls. And I believe we landed around 90, 91 before we got more than 50% that said eh, under the number that Brendan put out there. So I, generally the fan base, whether they'll admit it or not, was confident in how the season would unfold, and it didn't go that way. Kind of interesting to kind of look back on. Yeah, I, I you know, when we were doing the the preseason uh, card six, and you know, pick, you know, that we had eight eighty something people pick, you know, the, where the Cardinals were going to finish, and everybody but one picked first, and the other one picked second. You know, it just it, it you knew there was some some glitches, but you didn't think they were quite like this. So in twenty twenty two. Ollie Mormal takes his team to the, the playoffs, has a legitimate, I think, argument for manager of the year. In 2023, obviously not so much. Is Did Ollie change? You know, because that's where a lot of the blame wants to go, right? Everybody wants to to, to fire the manager because... Oh, I've seen terrible. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know you <laughs> I have. I've seen that doubt. sentiment. Um, how, how much do you, do you think... Did he change? Did he get lucky in 22? Did he have, you know, was Alberts and all that veteran leadership that much more important? Or was this just, you know, a little bit of good luck one year, bad luck the next? I, I don't think he changed. I think that's the one part of the answer that I'm most confident in is I don't think Ollie Marmel changed the way he goes about things. But I also, like, could you make an argument that that wasn't for the betterment of the team? Because... The circumstances were very different in 2023, and so perhaps there should have been more willingness on his part to adapt. I, I don't even know if that's yeah. an argument that I would want to form, but I, I, your question about the veteran leadership that left the room, it's interesting because we can point to Albert and Yachty and say, hey, those are the guys that, that departed, and that's true. But like Albert was only there for one year, so it's not right. like the prior couple of seasons that the Cardinals had some success. It wasn't like the Albert thing was was the, you know, that was like a one-year one-off, and I think it was perfectly timed. I think Albert was very valuable to the clubhouse in the year that he was there. So, like, just comparing 22 to 23, yes, you lose Albert, you lose Yachty. I I do think that some of the formative moments that the team for 2023 would look to have were made more difficult by the World Baseball Classic, and... I think it's honestly the most interesting topic that we'll never get like a full explanation for, because you can tell there were some times late last year that all he wanted to say more and kind of be candid about it, but he knew how it would come off because even when the guy's not making excuses, he's accused by Cardinals fans of doing so. And so it's a tough spot to be. And it's not that he is caught up in it. Like he doesn't read the stuff we write. He's told us this before. Um, and I tend to believe him. But there are certain things that are, you know, brought to his attention from from the outside public. So he's like aware of what the sentiment is, I would have to imagine, uh, about his situation. But 
Yeah, you know, I, I just look at it and I, I think the veteran leadership was one thing that was lost. It was they had a hard time gelling in the beginning of the year. Maybe Ollie recognized early that there were some issues and tried to use that Tyler O'Neill moment as an example to try and like I was gonna say cut the head off the snake, but I, I don't mean to imply that Tyler O'Neill was right. the head of the snake of right. but but just to kind of say, hey, early on I'm seeing some things coming out of like you can imagine spring training not normal. It's his first time doing it, running the thing, and half your team's gone because of the World Baseball Classic. And so you've also got a new catcher that you're trying to implement, and he wanted to be there. He made it a point to be there, but a lot of his pitchers aren't there. Right. And then when six weeks later, the main issue that we're talking about is kind of the relationship between pitcher and catcher and everybody not being on the same page. It's kind of easy to imagine how some of that may have taken place. And so, like, I think that is a real element as to why things were problematic. And then just when the vibes are bad, it's hard to, even if you are on merit, like say an 85 win roster, but you've started so slowly that you can allow some bad habits or some bad energy to seep in, then it's, it can be very difficult to dig out of that. And maybe they didn't have the collection of whether it's, I want to say character because that has a connotation, but they just didn't have whatever mix they needed to be able to climb out of that. And I do think also coaching which is not to denigrate the guys they did have, but you can draw a comparison and say the guys they lost in Mike Maddox and Jeff Albert, a lot of experience, especially on the pitching coach side. And I mean, Mike Maddox goes on to win the World Series with the Rangers, and it's hard to dispute that he had a pretty positive impact on that team. And so like whether each individual pitcher had the greatest relationship with Maddox or not, I don't think it matters whether the team philosophy was whatever, you know, Dusty Blake can influence things in a more analytical way. Like, I think that's a positive, but the bottom line is like Mike Maddox, there's a lot of institutional wisdom that he had that now departs. And so when you're having the issues with pitcher catcher and, and trying to get everybody on the same page and you don't have that guiding hand, like that could be another thing that, that hurt the Cardinals in the long run of 2023. So I look at all of these things and say, like, I think that was more relevant to, the demise of the team than like, well, Ollie must have done something differently. Like, I think he was the same guy. I think that it's okay that he was, but that was a moment where for six months you saw adversity. And I think Cardinals fans were kind of looking to Ollie Marmel to be the guy to pull them out of that adversity, or they have decided, Hey, he's not the guy. I don't think that's the right approach. I think all of the other stuff that I sort of alluded to is more responsible for why things happen the way that they did. But I also know how Cardinals fans are probably going to take that response, but yeah. it's how I, it's how I view it. If I can be candid. Are you a little bit surprised that, you know, the Cardinals have this history of long-term managers over the last 40 years, basically um, until the last four or five. You, right. I, to some degree, I'm a little bit surprised how fast people have turned on Marmol. Now, granted, yeah, 20, 20 games under 500, that'll do that. I get it. But. They haven't seen it. Like, that's the thing. Cardinals yeah. fans that don't remember the 90s mm -hmm. they haven't seen anything close to that. I think that's part of it, honestly. Yeah. And I mean, even back, you know, you got to back in 90, you know, Whitey's here for that. And if I remember, of course, I was uh, younger um, and, and, the, and the internet was not around then, but it does feel right. like even then, you know, he, I mean, of course he quit in the middle of the thing and part of that's, uh, you know, but he was getting a little bit of a heat as well. And if Whitey Herzog can get heat in St. Louis, anybody's yep. going to. So, um, but it's still a little bit surprising to me how you, you go from 
making the playoffs one year. And, and then, it, you know, it wasn't even, it was like, it felt like even by the end of April, right. People were like, we gotta, we gotta go. We gotta, we gotta change this. Um, it started and, early. Yeah. I think you're remembering that properly. Yeah. Do you think that if they had been able to hold serve, not even hold serve, but be just, you know, a couple of games under 500 at the end of April, instead of 10 or, or 12 or whatever they were, is that is that enough do you think that they were like okay we dodged the bullet and here we go or it was just gonna start snowballing one way or another I do think if they were closer to striking distance at the end of April and then maybe that if memory serves it's around the time like early May that they really started to dig in on the Contreras stuff Mm -hmm. and you know they didn't they didn't in retrospect the team knows it didn't handle that proper Again, Moselec kind of alluded to that in Nashville a few weeks ago. And and he basically said, like, it would have been better served to keep it in-house and not. I, I think that the plan, like the new game plan for Wilson, kind of got unveiled in a bit of a sloppy way. I can't say specifically because I wasn't there at the ballpark the day of it. And I believe it actually happened on the road, the, the very beginning of when that all kind of started to, uh, the, the, the yarn be, began to unspool. But like that, that was something that I think happened only because of where they were in the standings, because nobody thought it would be this way. And so it was like, all right, tensions are high. Drastic measures maybe aren't so bad to be taken. Like the Cardinals, I think, were sort of responding to what they were maybe hearing from certain players, certain pitchers and going, all right, well, if if I mean, this is the record and we're not used to this in St. Louis. So we have to act and we have to react to what's going on. To answer your question, I don't think that would have been as much of a you know, a, a blown up situation if the record wasn't what it was, you know, right. if they had gotten away with some of the, the issues, they might've been able to smooth them out behind closed doors over time and not have such a very loud public way of it unfolding. And if that were the case, I do think last year's team, and I don't even know if this is very controversial, was more talented than, than 71 and 91. Mm-hmm. I, I just think on paper, they, they certainly were, which is part of why it's easier for me to answer the question of like, okay, they did this, this, and this so far in the winter, is that enough to improve from 71 back to 88 or 90? And like, we can get into that discussion, but I think it's easier to explain when you look at, all right, the last month of the season, they knew it wasn't, you know, competitive baseball wasn't designed to be. And even before that, the trade deadline, they basically said then like, this isn't going to be our year. And so when everybody starts hitting the IL for nagging injuries, and it's just like, there's no reason to play through some of this stuff at that point they lost more games than they probably otherwise would have. And there wasn't that element of let's try and claw back to 77 to make this more respectable. Like at a certain point, the the toothpaste is out of the tube and you just kind of, you mail it in. And I just don't think it ever really would have gotten quite to that drastic point. Had they not gotten off to the bad start. And then you, you see the standings the whole way through. And then you can even ask like, if they're around a few games under 500 at the end of April, do they even take the drastic step of selling at the deadline, which maybe not. Ultimately, I think the way that it played out, they decided the right things at the deadline and got value for expiring assets that, you know, weren't going to be returning anyway. And even if they were like Jordan Hicks is still out there, you could bring him back if you wanted to right now today. And so I think they handled all that properly, but those dominoes probably don't fall in quite the same way if they don't get off to such a wretched start. So I think that's a fair a fair question like I'll turn it on you Daniel what do you think the talent level of the roster was last year let's assume before the trade deadline because I do think when you take away 40 percent of a rotation that's going to hurt you down the stretch but 
I see it as certainly it was higher than 71, but I understand how they got to it. I'm not sure if you, if you see it the same way. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, again, you know, w- when we go into the, to the season thinking they're going to be an 88 win team. Okay. You know, maybe there's a little bit of, of rose colored glasses in there, but there's not a lot, right? I mean, if you're, you know, being super Homer, you're saying 95, 96, nobody was saying that, but you know, so yeah, I think that, you know, at worst, you know, a 500 team, um, and, and probably slightly better than that. I mean, that's, that's what their potential was because we'd seen it with the people that we've, what they had now, again, that meant everybody living up to it. And that's probably never right. going to happen. But, you know, I think if you, you could expect it like going into the road to the season, even if you expected three fifths of that starting rotation to have a good to, I wouldn't say great, but good to great year, you know, somewhere in that range, something at the, you know, where they've done it before you're, you're, you're all right. Right. I mean, you, you kind of thought Adam Wainwright might eventually melt down and you never knew. Not like that, though. No. Not to the level it actually happened. And I think that's such a big part of it because he, even the guys that you maybe think from the rotation, you're like, oh, I'm not sure I trust this guy, but at worst, he'll be serviceable. Right. Like Adam Wainwright was not serviceable. It was, he was the worst pitcher in baseball. And that is a hard thing to overcome, but it's not solely hit. Like by the time you're in the middle of the summer, right? There were some Cardinal fans who said, you got to pull him from the rotation. And turns out like he was pitching injured. And so under that line of thought, like it wouldn't make sense to pull him. But also you had nothing really else to tune in for it until every fifth day when Wayno would pitch again, because maybe he'd get closer to number 200. And like at that point, I it just kind of felt like it was over anyway. So you keep running him out there. But like, if you're looking at it on paper, yeah, if you have a serviceable, like whoever the, the median number five starter in the league was last year, if those are the numbers you're getting from Wainwright's spot, it, you probably win a few more games. It's just they had too many of those kind of things, and that was unfortunately the the biggest one. And it was injury based, and he just yeah. it, he knew it was his last year. So what are you get? You're not going to I'll get my surgery and come back next year. Like, what are you going to do? You, it was about getting to 200, and that was just a, a, a microcosm of some of the things that happened. But I don't blame the Cardinals for continuing to run him out there because at the the point where you realize, like, yeah, it's there's no coming back from this for him. Um, it, this, the season was kind of a wash. It felt like to well, me anyway. I mean, he didn't come back to what beginning of May, you know, six weeks into the season before he even makes an, uh, an appearance about that. Right. They already had been struggling as yeah. a team, but we didn't so, know he was hurt or bad or what, you know, whatever yeah. the case would be right. until you're in like, until you're in London, you're going, Oh man. And that was June by then. Right. But in his world, it was only a month into his season. So it's easy to kind of look back and see how it, you're, you're suddenly in the middle of the summer before you go, yeah, Wayno might be cooked. But at that point, what do you, I mean, what are you going to do? Well, and I, I've always said that was the silver lining to a terrible season was the Cardinals yeah. never had to make that decision on Wainwright. I mean, if they were in the pennant race, there's no way he gets to 200 because they just can't. A hundred percent. They have to do something, you know, it, it's put him on the injured list, you know, do something, but he cannot be out there pitching every day when you're, that far out you let him go and and thankfully you know we got those moments that you know you wish it had happened differently but 200 was pretty special so um 
so yeah, so let, I think that's enough of, of last year because I don't think we want to talk too much more about painful. About, painful. I mean, it's just, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you I do think people term. might like to hear about it though, from the perspective of like examining why it could be different this year. Mm-hmm. But I, I agree that most time people are going, all right, I just never want to think about that season yeah. again. <laughs> yeah. And, and hopefully won't. It, it just, like we said, anything that could went wrong. I think somebody, I, I think it may have been go to our head, you know, that showed some of the, you know, the, the, 20th percentile and worse options right like almost everybody except for like jordan montgomery in the pitching rotation so that that just doesn't happen so you 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 chalk it up so i will say it is the one time pakota finally got it right if you guess they're going to be terrible for long enough one of these years i guess they figured they were going to get it right and darn it they got it right this time i don't know what they predicted i'm just assuming actually, it was actually i think it was the one of the few years pakota actually That's lost so funny this. That's so, awesome. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's it hilarious. Was like, it wasn't, I wanted 83, 84. It was like, oh, okay, yeah. sure. And, That's hilarious. Yeah. Like if they had said 71 this year, imagine the out, <laughs> outrage that would have existed in April. And then they could have absolutely dunked on everybody. I said, see, we told you. <laughs> absolutely. We nailed it. Why did you not see this coming? It's right here. Oh, me. So, you know, John Mozeliak has focused on pitching since – you know, about June of, of last year. Obviously, that's a lot of what he got at the, at the trading deadline and then goes into this winter and says pitching is the key. Right. Um, yes, successful or not, what do you think so far of, of what John Mosellock has done for the pitching rotation? I think he's accomplished what he set out to accomplish, which is not to say that I think he's done, but I think it was clear that the, the holes in the rotation were plentiful and I think they were rather decisive in the way that they approached it and I also think that by kind of looking into what they've actually done it offers a glimpse into what they are acknowledging was wrong with last year's team because again I don't think last year's roster was a 71 win roster but they did have some maybe deficits in areas and we know that the pitching was problematic but like you look and see what they went out and acquired to replace what they had some of it gets a little lost in translation. I kind of harp on because Mosellek said, you know, we relied on some some younger guys and some inexperienced guys that didn't pan out. And like that's technically true, but mostly they only did that in 2023 after the white flag was waved right. and you traded Montgomery and Flaherty and and Jordan Hicks as well, Chris Stratton as well. But like that was when you were starting Drew Rom and like you decided Zach Thompson's going to be a starter at this point which they didn't say at the beginning of spring training. And so he had to kind of midstream adjust, which I imagine was difficult on him. But like one of the other guys that I feel like is pointed to as one of these young guys was Dakota Hudson. And when Mo says like, we wanted to give those opportunities to younger guys and you know, that's what was the downfall. Like, I don't know if that's entirely right. I just think the guys that they ultimately, whether it was by choice to give them opportunities or it was a case of, the injuries were staggered as such and that eventually Dakota Hudson is what you're left with. And like, they weren't excited to give him opportunities, but he ended up pitching a lot for them. Um, I can remember back to day one of spring training, watching Dakota Hudson live bullpens down in Jupiter on the backfields and going, Oh man, he's like walking guys in the, like the sim game, the live BP right now. He's not finding the strike zone. He's not that attack oriented hitter that or pitcher that he talked about being, a month prior at winter warmup when I was, I bought in to Dakota Hudson saying like, yeah, I'm big on dusty Blake. I think we're going to figure things out. And he, he seemed like he had that mindset and then whoosh, it was all gone there that first day of spring training, at least to my eyes. And so from that moment, I was like, 
I don't know if he's going to be really contributing this year and ultimately, you know, didn't in a meaningful way, but you can look at how they staffed their rotation and, and things of that nature. It wasn't all just these young guys weren't ready for the opportunity. It was, you had, including Hudson, six guys that were getting paid, like getting paid money, had major league starting experience entering spring training. And the, honestly, veterans that you had didn't really pan out. I don't put it on Montgomery because I think he pitched pretty well. Um, but like Jack Flaherty was a disappointment when they traded him. It was like, yeah, you're making your rotation worse, I guess. But also he didn't pitch well. Yeah. He didn't pitch consistently. And that was uh, he, like, he was a, a hindrance to the rotation to me. And in like the, the will he or won't he, is he healthy? Yeah, we think he's healthy this year. Okay. But is he going to perform the same every fifth day? Like, I think that was a, a bit of a drag on things. So long answer, but I, I just don't always line up to the, well, it was young guys that we gave an opportunity to, and we're going to do it differently this year. I think they are doing it differently, but they're getting veterans that they trust veterans that they believe are going to write the ship in that clubhouse, which is not to say anything specific about any specific players, but like adding Lance Lynn and Kyle Gibson, whatever their ERA is going to be, I do think has a tangible benefit beyond the field of play in kind of making sure the clubhouse aligns the way that they want to see from top down and lead by example and know when to, to say something and have it be positive. I think they've, they've got more of that this year, I think, than they did last year. And it was hard for, and it's not to denigrate Wainwright, because I think it was hard for him to be in that role last year because he wasn't performing. So it's kind of a, an awkward spot to be in where you can be that lead by example guy, but you're not performing well. So I think that, you know, Lynn probably bounces back just an on, on the field standpoint from what he did last year. I think Kyle Gibson is going to be about what he's always been, but he'll eat some innings and be a, a serviceable number five. And then they did get, you know, they went out and spent on Sonny Gray and that the bet with him is he throws 180 innings or whatever he threw last year and doesn't decline and also doesn't decline for the next couple of years after that because the age curve could potentially end up getting him. But like right now, I think he's a great get and you got that kind of frontline starter without putting yourself into a long-term contract spot that you didn't feel great about. Now, a Yamamoto type, one of those younger starters that are out there, a lot of Cardinals fans would have said, pay up for that and it'll be worth it. And you take the risk that a guy goes through an injury or whatever the case might be. And I, I felt that way too, but um, I do, I do think what they did with gray and then here in his press conference and kind of just the way he goes about it, it's very clear. The Cardinals had a type, right? And I think right. they got a rotation. Now they looked at last year's problem and said, I don't know if it was giving young guys an opportunity, but we did get rid of Hudson. We did get rid of Woodford. We did, you know, we're kind of cleaning the slate and saying we just need reliability in those spots. And I, I think that's what they aimed for. And I could see the argument that it's what they accomplished as well. We'll see on the field when it comes to fruition, Daniel, but I, I can certainly see the, the case being made and it's, it's plausible that, it, that it's going to work out. It is, it is plausible, but it feels to me like this was the most Cardinals way to make over a rotation. A trillion percent possible. Right. I mean, they got yeah. two, two reliable guys, which I mean, you know, Clayton Kershaw is pretty reliable too. You know, you know, not, <laughs> you, know you, you know what I'm saying? You, there's levels of, of reliability yeah. and then you get a sunny gray, which is great. I mean, again, and I'm not, I, I think they did a fine job, this year. but you get a sunny gray, which unless that option kicks off, right. They still 
we thought we're going into this winter, they were going to have to set some sort of record, right. Of, of biggest contract ever given out to a, a yeah. player. And unless that, you know, fourth year option uh, brings that to a hundred million dollars, they're still not going to do that. Um, it's, you know, to some degree it's being opportunistic. I mean, everything got done in the span of like six days or something like that. But it also feels to me like, I don't know. I, I think we would have liked to seen it and, and that's just fans and it doesn't mean it's the right way to go about it. But I think we, a lot of people would have liked to seen something outside of the status quo to make you think that some lessons, some lessons, some different lessons were learned. You know, does yeah. that make sense? It makes sense. And I feel like what we're kind of dancing around, I don't not saying you're doing it intentionally, but like when I think about it, it feels like the type of off season that I can already almost hear Mo going, well, we spent the money. What do you want? What do you, what do you like? I think genuinely, but I don't do a good Mo, but I, I, I genuinely think from his perspective, it's like, like Cardinals fans. What, what more do you guys want? Because we did, we went out and addressed what we, but you're a hundred percent right that it's like, okay, yeah, you did, but you did it in this very Moselak way, right? Like you did it in this right. very Cardinals way. Mo and the Cardinals are one and the same. Like that, when I say one, it means the other because he is the, the the guy that runs the show. But it's interesting because in in it being a Mosaic way, what is the concern I feel like sometimes from Mo is, well, we don't want to be, you know, we don't want to be caught with our pants down on something where we needed something and then the market no longer could supply it for us or we had to go way above and beyond to get the thing that we wanted. Like we don't want to put ourselves in that spot. It's a very Mo front office way of approaching. So, what do they do? They're like, well, who wants to be a Cardinal? He talked a lot about Lance Lynn wanted to be here. Kyle Gibson wanted to be here. Sonny Gray wanted to be here. That is that is great for Mo because there's not like there's not yeah. a lot of convincing that needs to be done. Now, is part of that the market? Is part of that the historical way of the Cardinals always doing things? And like, it's not maybe something to to denigrate. Maybe that's right because over the long-standing history, it's the way they've operated has worked for them. Like Mo has a track record. But I think he used up a lot of the goodwill in 2023 with, hey, be patient, be patient. And then the the season was over. And when it was time to say, hey, Mo, what do you say to the fans that were patient and it didn't work out? You, I mean, all, all the way up until July, it was be patient. Well, they didn't have an end-of-season press conference, so you never really got to ask that question. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, it's, it's just these little things where you go, man, they have a really good case that they could look at Cardinals fans and say, like, like put your lawyer hat on. It's like, we... We did what we said we'd do. You're telling me that you're upset. We got three starters. Like, what's wrong with you, Cardinals fans? And 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 then you can kind of hear him say it and go, yeah, I mean, I guess he's got a point. He didn't say we were getting three Kershaws. He said we're getting three starters. And then he kind of backed off of that so that people, you know, would, would go, oh, man, are, are the Cardinals only getting two? And then when yeah. he gives you three, you're still upset. Like, I can, I can absolutely hear that kind of thought process from Mo. And it's hard to even poke a hole in because it would be a correct thought process um, but but I think the disappointment comes from Cardinals fans. I, I think this is the way I would sum it up best, Daniel. Cardinals fans, with the notion of adding three starters, there was all this endless possibility, and people dreamed of upside, right? Like, they could get some upside. Like, what if Lucas Giolito, like, he had a down year, but my gosh, if you get him and he turns back into an ace, suddenly, man, you you got a bargain. I don't think the Cardinals were were dreaming for upside, with some of the moves they made, I think they were really trying to set the floor. 
They were trying to have a more stable foundation for the rotation this coming year so that 71 and 91 would never happen again. And that's a little bit, that's not sexy, right? It's not sexy to go, we raised the floor to 80 wins. But like for the Cardinals, you can see why they do that because they go, they identified what the problem was and they got guys who are the opposite of that and are going to be good in the clubhouse and stable forces if healthy. And so when the Cardinals, when it doesn't go right in 2024, I, I, I'm not saying it won't, but right. if it shouldn't and they win 81 games, at least they'll have people's attention and it won't be this like exhausting five months after April where you go, it's, ne- it's never going to be good again. It's always going to be like this. Like that had to be exhausting for the front office. So when they approach the offseason, they're like, we're going to do the things that make sure we don't do that. And then we'll try and scrape out those extra 10 wins to get to get this team back to to really being October prominent. And I think Sonny Gray was aligned toward that. And now fans are kind of waiting for the rest of it, because I still think you do need some more on the pitching side and to make some tough decisions about things on the position player side. Um, but like, I, I do think it was a, about playing the floor and not really chasing upside, which is what most fans wanted. So when it, when it was foundational stuff and not ceiling stuff, that is maybe what let the air out of the balloon a little bit for some Cardinals fans. If I had to diagnose it. Yeah, I think that's fair. And it it goes along with this idea of, of creativity, I think, uh, which has not ever been a Mo strong suit unless he was trying to set the market on middle relievers with Brett Cecil. And that was, Oh boy. Shots fired. Daniel. Last last time he got creative and that may be why, but uh, you know, just that idea, you know, I, I think all of us, when we saw Lance Lynn and, and and Gibson go you know boom boom like that right right off the gate grab those guys it's like okay yeah you've got okay you've you've raised your floor like you're saying and you get a grade but then you know we went into the a lot of people said you need two people better at least two people better than Miles Michaelis right and the Cardinals front office does not appear to take that depth that they have right now and want to go out and get more now could be wrong I mean we're still here early January there are moves that still could be made but Everything John Mosellock seems to be saying, and, and you've got better sources than I, obviously. So from everything I read, is the, the the rotation is not an issue anymore. I and mean, if there's any additions, it's to the bullpen. And I, you know, again, I just it feels like some missed opportunities there to you know really put a stamp on this thing instead of as we have seen probably for the last ten years trying to take advantage of a weak division and hope that something happens in October. Yeah. But you know, what's, you know, what's hard about putting a stamp on things or the word that would come to mind. It starts with a C and it's called complicated. Mm-hmm. And it's a word that Mo has used before is certain things would be complicated to envision. So like th- there's a fork in this road. I'll, I'll travel down both paths with you. The first one is talking down the desire for a starter could kind of feel like saying, Hey, Matt Carpenter's our third baseman. And then you trade for Nolan Arenado. I'm not saying that type of trade is coming for a starter, but that's one road that we could go down. And I think it's plausible to say that that's what they're doing with the way that they, they talk about these matters. Um, The other side of that is maybe they'd really like to, well, I guess there's three forks here, three prongs on the fork. One of the, one of the, the, the routes we could travel is, yeah, they're really not planning to add a starter and they're going to kind of tidy up the bullpen and that's going to be it. And they're not even looking at potential, I would say at this point trades for a starter because I don't think you sign a starter. Um, anybody that's out there that's worth signing for a, a higher dollar amount, I would think would get a longer deal than Sonny Gray. And I, I just don't think that that's something the Cardinals are 
position to do financially. The third prong is the Cardinals know that they just, they know that their pitching could stand to be a little better and they're willing to pursue kind of multiple outlets for that. And if something should materialize where a name like Dylan Cease or, and he seems to be the one that keeps popping up, but I don't think it has to be specific to him. Like a guy like him, if that player should become available on the, the trade market and the Cardinals are, believe they're positioned to do something about it, I think they'd be willing to trade the players that would be necessary. But then there's this other layer to the onion where they have to go, okay, but what does that mean for the guys that are in-house? Because we technically do have the situation again where we're the Cardinals and we're paying five starters. Like right. Steven Matz would be the the name that everybody nominates to, well, he can be the swing guy, and maybe that's true. But is that do they view that as the best use of their resources in terms of going to take away from, you'd think, like the offense in the prospect pool to get this pitcher and then pay Matt's $11 million to be not penciled into your opening rotation? Like on paper, you could see the issue with that. But we know that a, a pitcher gets injured every year in spring. So right. I could make the case that as long as they're cool with the budget on it, whatever Cease makes, if it's $10 million, like, okay, the budget kind of works out. They've still got the the bandwidth, and so they can just do that. And if they like Steven Matz, great. He's your fifth starter anyway when someone gets hurt in February or early March. Um, but I don't know if they approach things that way because there's a human element to this. Where like, what do you tell Steven Matz? You did kind of yank him around a little bit last year. Performance sort of did dictate that because he struggled mightily at the beginning in the rotation, found his footing in the the, the bullpen, and then honestly pitch well as a starter later in the year. But like, those are the different questions that I think it took me so long to talk about it. And that's because I think to the front office's eyes, it would be complicated. So I, my view is that it's closer to tier three of, or prong number three of my fork that they'd be willing to entertain that kind of trade, but man, to pull the trigger on that would maybe also mean pulling the trigger on a match trade. And would that be in a separate deal or it's a lot of moving parts that I just, I do think it requires more creativity than we have seen from the front office recently. Yeah. And that is, you know, a little bit, I don't want to say disturbing. I, I think it's a little bit frustrating. I think that's a lot of where the frustration of fans comes from. I of course, it's a lot of, you know, it's a lot easier to make those kind of trades when you're sitting on this side of this computer screen too. So for sure. Um, I, and, We've and, all and played MLB, that. the show or whatever, you know, exactly. out of the park baseball, it's easy to press a button. Um, and it just feels like, they are very measured in actually going through with each step of those deals to where like there are GMs or, or baseball executives where like DePoto, we always say, well, you know, he'll make this move and he doesn't seem to think, oh, that means I can't do, you know, now I have to do this other thing. Oh man, I'm, I'm clamming up. He's like, now we'll do the next thing. Like the Cardinals aren't the type of org that makes five trades in an off season. There are orgs out there that do it. I think somewhere in the middle is probably the best way to approach it, but um, you, you do kind of see like teams like the Mariners for better or worse and the Cardinals on opposite end of the spectrums when it comes to like those, like that operational approach. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I guess the other thing is, is we as Cardinal fans have, are, are kind of used to this. Like last year they go out and they get Contreras and then they're done. Right. So they've gone out, they got their three starters and it's very easy for us to think, that they are done, even though they haven't really said that, even though they continue to talk about bullpen pieces or whatever, there's still at least a part of me that could believe that they'll go to Jupiter with this team, even though there's pieces that need to probably be traded and there's pieces that need to be added to the bullpen. But when you see 
you know, we've, and you know, we've seen it this, this week, right? Uh, two of the, the Asian pitchers coming over as relievers, Matsui and was it Wong go suck? No, one suck go. Um, so, which I think they definitely, I think the reason they didn't get that, the, the, the other one is because they didn't want me to do the puns. Um, I, I really is that what it was? Okay. I mean, he went for it would have been too tempting million. for you. Yeah. I mean, it's $3 million. I mean, there's no reason otherwise, except for they just knew what was going to happen. Um, but when they don't go get those <laughs> I, here, real bats. quick, I will, because I did like a really long tweet about this today um, with go. I was getting a lot of replies where I was like, I'm not even going to say like, oh, the Cardinals cheaped out on this when they got outbid on a two year, four and a half million deal. When I really think it's like, and then everybody said, oh, he just wanted to be on the West Coast. And it's like, I mean, maybe he did. But when the number is that, like if Otani wants to be on the West Coast and is offered 700 million and you're a team in another area that offers 750 million, he might say, I'm already getting 700 million. I'm good. I'm going to go where I really want to be. Whereas if a guy's offered four and a half and you offer him 12, that suddenly they, I don't care where I play. Like in theory, the Cardinals or any other team, I will maintain, and there's nobody out there that'll be able to tell me I'm wrong. You know me, that's kind of how I am. But I'll maintain that, like, th- that would have gotten the job done. I would be pretty convinced. But is it, like, should the Cardinals have done that? Not necessarily. Maybe the guy's not worth $12 million. Maybe he's not worth four and a half. We don't really know. Um, kind of tricky from the KBO, you know, whereas Matsui from from Nippon Professional Baseball, clearly they felt it was like five years, 20-some-odd million. So that's a little more certainty, whereas this guy's making four and a half, a little more of a, of a Sungwon O type flyer in terms of like the length of a deal. And I, and I kind of wonder if that's, you know, maybe more of uh, a case where the Cardinals just said, all right, like if geography was a factor here, and again, I don't even know if they offered him, but if geography was a factor, we're not going to be the team to try and outbid that because we're not even totally convinced about the player. I'm not saying that's their standpoint, but that was like, I could see it having been that. And so I, I used my power of, uh, sending a really long tweet and so now i now i just rehashed it with you so i'm sure yeah, you're excited about that. absolutely absolutely i've always wanted to, this show to be one really long tweet and so there it is now we've got it so um yeah i think i think that's it's fair i mean you know those are guys the cardinals were linked to by some reports but there's no, no indication necessarily that that the front office was really that enamored with either one of now, them now matt suey i think they definitely made an Made, he came unless their meeting with him didn't go well, like <laughs> from their end. But I think they that would have been maybe a case where, hey, if the Padres tell this guy he can be their closer, I don't know if the Cardinals could have offered that with what, which is not to say like Helsley is locked in, but I think the Cardinals are maybe going to take more of a of a group approach to that role, and they don't want to be locked into something that suddenly you tell one guy from Japan that he's the closer, and then when you don't make him the closer, now nobody from Japan wants to sign with you ever again. Like I. I, I think that was maybe could have been part of that, which is why I'm saying, well, I don't think that go is going to be their closer because they barely gave him any money. But anyway. Right. Right. Um, so do you think that there is a bullpen piece still coming? And do you think it's free agency? Is it a reunion with Jordan? Yeah. Hicks? I don't know if it is with Hicks. It would make a lot of sense. It would not surprise me. The longer it goes on, it really wouldn't surprise me because there were, there was that scuttlebutt right before the deadline that he wanted to stay and just wanted an extension and that they were working on it. But I don't think that was ever really close to fruition. I think that was maybe sort of wishful thinking. I can remember the, the night that Hicks was kind of asked about it. Like, Hey, do you think this was the last time you pitched at Bush? And he's like, what are you talking about? It's like, well, the the trade deadline is soon. 
and you guys are going on the road right now. He's like, oh, no, I don't really like I maybe I just can't read people. But it seemed like he really hadn't given it much thought. And so I could foresee a situation where after that, he's talking to his agent like, am I going to get traded? Like is something going down here? And then he's like, I'd like to stay if you could try and facilitate that with the Cardinals. And it was, I think just a little late in the, in the game at that point, because the Cardinals probably knew that, Hey, if they really wanted him, you can have him now. Like it's January and you can have him now. Um, I do think he's going to get decent money, but maybe not as much as some people suspect. Um, I'm, I cannot wait to see what Hicks gets because he's a dynamic arm, no doubt. But like, we're coming off a season in, in which during that season, it was like, is this guy going to be sent to AAA or are they just going to get rid of him? Right. Like that was a thing early in 2023. And then he was lights out after he kind of, kind of straightened things out. But that would make sense to me. I could, you know, Phil Maton, it seems like some people thought he should have been a Cardinal three different times this off season already. And hasn't happened. I could see one of those types. Hector Neris, I think is still out there. Like one of those types, I think they'll get somebody on like a two or three year deal. And, It'll be someone that you could envision like, oh, yeah, they'll throw him in the seventh, eighth or ninth at a given point in the year. Um, but it won't be like, oh, this is the guy taking over as the closer. Like, yeah. I, I think they'll get somebody, but it's not necessarily going to be like the guy. They'll just have another guy to add to Helsley, Jojo, Geo. So the pieces that are still need to be traded, who, who do you think goes or does anybody go out of this whole outfield situation with since now Tyler Neal obviously is gone, but no, yeah, I think he was the one that had to be tra- like he had to be traded. Um, yeah, I was pretty clear that I didn't think he would be on the team. And then Mo said we're trading, we're looking to trade Tyler Neal, and he said it on MLB Network Radio. So I was like, okay, I had a, I had the proper read on this because once he said that, it was never a possibility that O'Neill would have been on the team. No, um, on opening day. So after that. And he's an expiring asset anyway, right? Like he's going to be a free agent. It it made all the sense in the world to trade him. So, but now you look at your outfield situation. You go, okay, Newtbar will be in left. Walker will be in right most days. Center field. I am still of the mind that they're going to try to make it be Tommy Edmond, but that means that Mason Wynn has to hit at shortstop out of the gate. And it's not that I think Mason Wynn won't be a gr- a really good major league player ultimately, but like, is he ready to play? 140 games of shortstop this year and and have his bat do the talking to that level as well to where like you can just put him out there set it and forget it and it's going to be it's going to work out what we saw in September would indicate no but he's going to get a whole off season to and he's a driven kid like he's he's got a world of talent he's got drive he's got the mentality I think the best thing for him was whether he he you know flopped or had success at the end of last season was to just get that run and to kind of get integrated into major league baseball lifestyle and kind of what that looks like. But it does have a huge impact on what the outfield looks like, because I think Tommy Eben could be a starting caliber shortstop. I think he could be a starting caliber second baseman, but I think it's important to not have him do everything within one year again, because I think that diminished the value you got from him. He is, his mentality is this super utility guy and he does a great job of it. And to just step into center field and do what he did last year defensively is a marvel. But his, if you look at the, the defensive metrics at second base, he really struggled. And again, he is a, a smooth mentality guy, so it doesn't really fit the narrative of who I know him to be to say this. But like, do I think being told all offseason, like, you're our guy, you're the shortstop, and then suddenly when Paul DeYoung is healthy, they move you to second base, could that have just had any sort of lapse on his concentration or whatever? 
on some of the errors that were made? Potentially so. And I would just like to see the Cardinals kind of give Edmund the role and see what he does with it and let Brendan Donovan be that guy that can float because he is the same way. And I just don't think you need multiple guys on a team doing it and, and being kind of that floater. Um, so with the way that all shakes out, though, Daniel, I don't think you have to trade anybody unless you're getting value. And it also, even Dylan Carlson, it makes sense why they'd retain him because if you should need Edmund on the infield for whatever reason, Carlson's the only guy that I think defensively you can trust to play center field. And they'd put Newtbar out there if they had to again. But if Newtbar ends up logging a bunch of time in center field this year, stuff went awry elsewhere because it isn't going to be their intent or their plan coming into the season. It's kind of a question of do they really think they can sort of cobble this together and that Victor Scott will be ready in a year? Like maybe that's part of their process. Um, I, w- I don't think it's crazy to say like, and I don't know who the name is, but like a veteran type of outfielder who can play good center field and bats left-handed would be such a good piece for this team. Um, but then I think to justify having that guy brought in, you'd have to trade somebody to make the spot on the on the depth chart. Um, but if they don't get the trade that lines up for Dylan Carlson where they feel they're getting fair value, they'll say, we'll keep Dylan Carlson because we think there is a chance that he rebounds his value this year. So like, there's a lot of moving parts to where, if I had to guess, it's back to that complicated word, and we don't see any of the the group move before uh, before spring training or even opening day. If I had to guess, well, and then you still got Alec Burleson in that in that mix as well, who again is probably yeah, that's a great point. DH outfield yeah. type of spot, but you and he know, can play first base as a backup to Goldie. But how many days do you really anticipate needing that? Maybe right, you know, thirty, forty throughout a year. But they've had Brendan Donovan play some first base as well because they want to get his bat into the lineup. Um, Burleson's bat, like coming into last year, it was very clear how they viewed Burleson's bat. Did the fact that the results didn't really show throughout the year, um, does that change their mindset or do they kind of double down and say, no, we still believe in the hitter that Burleson is and can become. There was kind of a funny moment in Ollie's office later in the season where I asked a question and, and said something about, about Burleson to the effect of like, you know, I, I, I'm kind of seeing now, you know, what, what, what you guys see in Burleson and all he's like, Oh, you're coming around, huh? And it's like, yeah, I'm coming around. And everybody kind of had a laugh, but like for me early in the season, I was like, man, with all the guys that you could potentially be prioritizing playing time for, I, I wasn't necessarily seeing it, but I do see like the profile and that Burleson in terms of like the luck that he hit into and certain things should project to, to, to be able to do more. And if that should come to fruition, left-handed power and and just left-handed hitting ability is such a valuable commodity. And so why you'd try to, you know, see that thread through makes a ton of sense from the Cardinals perspective, but you do run into the issue of there's not an obvious position to play him with your corner outfield kind of set and first base, obviously set on a daily basis. And then a guy you really do like defensively to fill into those spots in Brendan Donovan, whose bat also needs to be in the lineup when you talk through it that way, it's, it's clear. Oh, you do. You have to trade somebody, but the Cardinals aren't just trying to trade somebody to get rid of somebody. They've got good pieces that should have value if they can acquire the thing that they need, which had been pitching. But when they sign three pitchers already, it's like, okay, maybe that type of deal isn't what comes to fruition, but it really feels like, and it's not to say that Burleson wouldn't be a good Cardinal and a good fit, but if there's a team out there that values Burleson, the way the Cardinals do, who happen to have a pitcher that they could part with, there would be a there would be a match to be made there. I would have thought. Um, I kept thinking Tyler Glass now would be the one, but then he goes to the Dodgers, and you know Dodgers gave up a, a, a good young pitcher to do that deal. So 
It's not to say that the Cardinals should have been willing or should have been able. It's just very interesting to think about because there, you, you bring up Burleson is like a, a true thing, but he can't play center field. And so it kind of is like a redundancy in terms of what he brings defensively, but has the potential to be a unique bat offensively. We can only have one DH per day. And Gorman and Donovan have to both be in the lineup against right-handed pitching. Like it is a really tricky thing. It's not like a bad thing that the Cardinals have all this talent, but you'd like to see them consolidate it in a way that makes sense. Yeah, and and, and they've said that too. That's the, I think that's the kicker as well, right? That they keep saying we need to clear at bats for people, and you know, again, the the moving of Tyler O'Neill may help in that regard somewhat, but a little bit. You know how how much we'll have to wait and see because I mean, you spend a lot of the you spent a lot of time over the last couple of years with Tyler O'Neill on your injured list. So, you know, right. not having him around now is kind of like not having him around the last year or two. So yeah, mentality wise, it's different, obviously, because sure, you don't sure. even have to think about, well, when he comes back, what happens, but it's interesting too, like in retrospect, and I thought this at the time, so this isn't even like, like hindsight being 2020, it was not realistic. And I think this would be a good question to ask it. Maybe not at winter warm-up, but maybe like at spring training when it's a more private setting. But like looking back on it, I don't even know if Ollie would even touch on it because there's no upside for him to do so. But it was not realistic to see the Cardinals have all of the outfielders on that opening day roster that they did and think it was going to be fine. Like they trumped it up like, oh, it's depth. That's a good thing. It breeds competition. Like true to an extent. There was overkill. When Jordan Walker had the spring he had, that was like, well, we have to have him probably on the team too, and we'll just make it work. And that probably wasn't even an Ollie decision, which is not to say that Ollie wouldn't have wanted to see Jordan on the team because he earned a spot, in my opinion. But like, I think it was naivete a little bit to say, eh, we'll just put all of these guys on the team, and there's six of them, and only three of them will play every day, and it'll probably be fine. Like, yeah. no, I think I think that had more of a of a negative impact, and so. Moving Tyler O'Neill at least decreases that grouping by one, but you know that there's not a question of this year, well, well you can send Jordan Walker back down. No, he's a core player now, and that's going to have a, a downstream effect on some other guys. So it is very compelling. There are so many compelling spots on this roster, Daniel, where I could I just get excited thinking about it because you could talk for hours about these specific matchups and how one might impact another and then when opening day comes, somebody will stub their toe and it'll all clear itself up. But like for now, it's very compelling to kind of think about the the machinations that could come through. Yeah. And I mean, this is a roster that we're, we're talking about, you know, is getting a little bit, you know, full at times. And then they go out and get a rule five draft guy who's going to have to stick around in the bullpen, um, which was a little bit surprising to me because of the, because of all the issues they're having to, to lock themselves into a one um, was a, a bit of a surprise, even though it sounds like it's going to be an interesting candidate to follow. I just didn't see them sacrificing some of that flexibility. Yeah. I, I guess I can see both sides of that because yes, if you, if you're going to keep him on the roster the entire time, he's, he's going to have to, you know, be part of that bullpen. And if you're not, then you don't necessarily have him anymore. You got to offer him back to the Red Sox. But it's interesting because I right now in this moment, I can't tell you whether the guy's name is Richardson or Robertson because they got they got both, <laughs> but one of them's the rule five and the other one's not, right? Yeah, and, I think it's actually, isn't it Fernandez? Oh, see, 
I'm I'm yeah. not even on. It's Ryan Fernandez, right? That's who was yeah. the Rule Five one. Yeah, I and they got a like a Robertson in the Tyler O'Neill mm-hmm. deal, and it was both with Boston, something like that. Yep. Yep. Uh, okay. Let's see, I'm trying to find. Yeah, Nick Robertson was uh, Nick Robertson. Yep. Yeah. So there you go. It was the Ryan part that I was attributing to the guy's last name, and it was Ryan Fernandez. My point is like. I think some of these guys are interchangeable in terms of like the, the, if they add nobody new, what's most interesting about the bullpen matchups heading into, or the, the battle for the bullpen in spring is going to be the right-handed side to me. Um, and then the, on the left side, it's just the decision of how do Libertor and Zach Thompson look? And do you want to devote them to the bullpen or do you want to hold out hope for either or both of them to be starters? And then that'll kind of have downstream effect on what happens to the other lefties that do or don't make the team in the bullpen. But on the right side, you've got Helsley, and you've got Gallegos, and then it's like, I think you could see a spot for Palante as more of like a utility guy where he's going to get you that ground ball, and also he has reverse splits so he can be another lefty effectively as well. Like, I think that gives him utility into the bullpen if they're going to move forward with him as a reliever. But beyond that, it's like, well, if Fernandez is around, like, he's on your team, but what if Robertson or any number of these other righties that you could point to you know, guys like Zuniga, um, guys like Wilking Rodriguez, who's not on the 40 man, but they're going to bring him back because they want to see if what they saw in him last year is something that he could do when healthy. Riley like, O'Brien. that'll be interesting. I, I don't know if there's a, a point for Fernandez if he doesn't perform that they're like, all right, we offer him back because we have these other guys that we prefer. Or if I would imagine, like you said, you kind of view that as a guy who's locked in and and you're going to try to make it work to to have him. And I'm sure the upside that they saw in him was worthwhile to to spend on him, uh, you know, the hundred thousand or whatever you pay for in the rule five. But it, yeah, it's, it's interesting. That's, I, I do think there are, and I did a podcast on this recently where I kind of looked into the bullpen. If they don't do anything else, there's probably a dozen right-handed names that you could, you know, go down throughout the organization and say, well, if they made this guy a reliever and he had a great spring, maybe he's in the bullpen. But ultimately I, I think that it is interesting that they take a rule five guy and say, he's given one of those very valuable spots I think you've either got a, a really interesting competition for the for one more spot on the right side of the bullpen, or you sign a righty that is you know is bona fide, and then that kind of answers that question. Yeah, going to be interesting. Hopefully, we've got a few more moves left to make. If you were to put the line right now in your ultimately famous polls at the win total, where do you think it would wind up? Oh well, you know I'm not a betting man, so I can't possibly no, never, it. not at all. <laughs> You shouldn't be definitely not on football. Let's put it that way. Uh, um. <laughs> okay, so uh, so you're saying, am I to guess where the Cardinals fans will jump off the bandwagon? Yeah. Is yeah, that the we'll, question we'll say, here? We'll, we'll say it that way. Okay, because I always start real low. I probably won't start at 71. It'll be yeah. it'll be an interesting question this year. What number I have to start at? Because technically, it'll be a, a number that's higher than what they just did. But maybe it does have to be as low as like 75. Normally, I can go. All right, I'll start at 80 or 81 because. Nobody will say below that anyway, but this year I'm not 100% sure. I think if they made no additional moves, again, I still think Cardinals fans, there's going to be excitement by the time I'm doing those polls because the season's about to start. So I I know the number. What I'm going to turn it on you. Give me your number of what you think it would be, and I promise not to change mine, but I don't want to, I don't want to be any counter-influence here. I would say... I've already written what? the number down, so I can't change yeah. it. Yeah, because I could see that. Um, <laughs> I knew you'd have a comment for that. I would go with 86, I think. 
86 and a half is the number that I've got down. That's where I think it would, because I always do a half number so somebody, they can't tie. So, yeah, I think that's about what people would say, which is, you know, does that make the playoffs or not? You know, we'll have to wait until the end of the season to find out. But that's that is kind of where I feel people will feel the Cardinals are coming into the year if they don't do anything else. And surely somebody from the bullpen will emerge in spring and make people go, oh, the bullpen's actually going to be okay. Or maybe there's a bunch of injuries in spring and that's why the number is wrong. But I think 86 and a half is about. So, so people would say, yeah, 86, I, I'm, I'm voting yes on 85 and a half. They're over. And then I'll get yeah. to 86 and a half and it'll be like a 51, no, 49, yes. And that's, that's kind of where people would be as of right now. And of course, it, this also, you know, doesn't happen in a vacuum. And, and the Cardinals have other teams they're competing with. Are you a little bit surprised that the NL Central has been not as active as maybe we would thought, especially that team in Chicago? Kind of. Yeah, I thought the Cubs were going to gonna, you know, drop their dominance on everybody this offseason be like, look at us, we can spend. At first, I legitimately, there was a moment in time where I'm like, they're getting Otani. Like, they're they're picking now to be to be players in this whole thing. And it's kind of, surely they're going to do something big. Because why would you spend like $8 million on a manager if you're not going to give him the players? Like, that's just crazy to me. I thought that meant they were going to be serious again. Um, maybe not. Cardinals fans would love to see it be not. Um, but yeah, I am surprised by the inactivity of the Cubs thus far. Doesn't mean that there's not still time. It's always kind of a, we say, oh, it's a slow moving market. It always is. Every year's like this, uh, in, in recent memory, but I think it'll have to pick up over the next couple of weeks to some extent. Um, Milwaukee, it doesn't surprise me because I think when you lose your manager, you go, oh yeah, that's probably telling as to where they are as an organization. Um, They've kind of danced on the line for a while now, and it just feels like it, you know. They got away with it, man. In 2023, they got away with it. And I'm not like, again, I'm I'm objective here. I'm not a fan of anything. But I just, I I didn't see the Brewers holding up. And I think the only reason they did is because the Cardinals absolutely spiraled in the way that they did. And so there really wasn't that true team to test them in the division. And then you saw what happened in the playoffs to Milwaukee. So, yeah, I think they're going in the wrong direction. I think the Reds could be intriguing with the right couple of moves here and there because they finally do have some some young talent that you can can yeah. be enthused about if it can come together. Um, the Pirates are still going to be a, a little bit of ways yet, but they got, you know, McCutcheon's back, so they can sell yeah. that. Right. That's that's more than some teams do. It is, it is surprising that the Reds and the Royals have spent more money than... I was going to say, we can't all spend like the Royals. <laughs> They've made some moves, man. They have. Which, I mean, again, in that division, it shouldn't take that much, right, to to be at least a contender. And I think It feels like the Twins often win it by default because right. the other teams just don't really – they either don't try or the White Sox happen. All right. Tell everybody where they can find you or, or mute you or whatever. Yeah, where, where you can mute me is at bshafer12 on Twitter, I you, it's actually almost time to unmute me because the football tweets will, you know, have to come to an end around. I mean, the Super Bowl happens, and my plan currently is to drive to spring training the next morning. So you'll be, really? you'll be all all baseball at that point. You've only got like another month and ten days or so of my yeah. football tweets this year. Um, it, only, it only will feel like a couple of years. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure for you. I'm sure that that it will. Um, although as we're recording this tonight, and I've it's been about an hour, so I haven't really been. Looking at Twitter, I saw that LSU is making a play for Mizzou's defensive coordinator, and I will not be hinged any longer if that ends up coming to fruition. Uh, but anyway, anyway, um, 
you can yeah at b Schaefer 12 on twitter my uh my articles will be coming hot and heavy here soon at kmov.com um unless they've changed it to first alert 4.com i don't know i think kmovs.com would still redirect so i think you're good there and um podcast b Schaefer daily um if you like other cardinals podcasts besides daniel's then you could listen to mine and uh youtube was like the big thing that i did in 2023 Talked to Charlie Marlowe on opening day and I was like, man, you're really doing a lot of that YouTube stuff. And our conversation convinced me like, all right, I just need to try and take this next step and do it. So youtube.com slash at B Schaefer 12. It's the, it's just YouTube plus my Twitter handle. There will be a ton of Cardinal stuff there this year. So if you want to check me out there, that would be most appreciated as well. I just guess what people were screaming for was you on camera. I know it. I know there's it. a reason I don't <laughs> record that way. <laughs> Sometimes I don't, but you, I tell you, and Charlie has me turned into this kind of like mindset, but like put it on YouTube. You could put, you could put it all on YouTube with just like a picture. That's kind of what I had done at, at sometimes when I'm just doing audio and then I'm trying to do the camera stuff a little bit more because probably it's better for like the algorithm or whatever, but you'd be surprised. Like people, people listen to this podcast. If you threw it on YouTube, hundred percent. Well, let's let's not test things. I, I don't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> hey, I'm just I'm I'm not trying to be like a spokesperson for YouTube, but I was surprised at how like quickly YouTube their algorithm mm-hmm. lets people like, oh, this person watches Cardinals videos, they'll probably watch this guy's Cardinals videos because he's making them every day right now. Weird. And so it, <laughs> it worked out good. But anyway, well, ho- hopefully the the daily part does go uh, go strongly, especially in Jupiter. I'm going to make the effort. <laughs> I, I think I've got to set up with Air, the Airbnb should be set up to where I'll be able to record. It was kind of an issue in Nashville for the winter meetings, but I, I should, I'm looking forward to Jupiter. Um, if everything goes as I have planned currently, should be a lot of fun. Yeah. Should have a lot of, a lot of things to talk about for sure. So, all right. Well, thanks to Brendan for joining us this time around next week. Uh, Jeff Jones is supposed to to be with us. So we'll talk a little bit more about the Cardinals then, but until then, For Brendan, I'm Daniel. Good night. The final time, Adam Wainwright, Yadier Molina, in regular season play. Here it comes. All of them coming out. Three icons in franchise history, spanning over two decades. Excellence here with St. Louis as Adams head to Yachty and Albert. You guys go first.